This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. It's Monday. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions. Now, today I'm going to ask a little bit more of you. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, But uh, anything that's on your heart, uh, all you have to do is call us, 210-340-340. 9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. I remind you every day, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. I hope and pray you had a great weekend, a great Sunday. I know church was still strange. Uh, We couldn't go. It's kind of an online thing, but... um, hope wherever it is that you go to church, uh, the Lord spoke to your heart. I know he wants to. I hope that by now, and this is kind of a intro to what I'm going to talk about, uh, you're really getting excited and anxious about getting back to church to be with the people that God has placed you with. Um, that's what we're going to at least in part talk about today. Now, I'm sure going to talk through some issues with you and ask for your help and your participation as well. Uh, For those of you who are not aware, um, the governor made a statement today that uh, allows churches beginning on Friday, May 1st, to get back together uh, with in-person services. There are some um, limited restrictions. Um, I I think we can work through them. Uh, but uh, we here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio are going to be back in church on Friday night. Uh, we have a Friday night service, a Wednesday night service, a Friday night service, and of course three services on Sunday. We're also going to be returning to our three service format this Sunday as people come into church. Now here's where I need your help and I need your input. And this isn't people from Calvary Chapel, this is just everybody. Um how are you going to feel going back to church? Are you going to feel safe? What are some of the things that would make you reluctant to come? What are some of the things that you don't care? I just got to get back to church. Um, what are some of the things that you would expect from your church? Again, we're still sort of wrestling with these uh, new decisions that have been made. And we want to know how to do it. But believe me, we are thrilled about getting back together. I came to the office today, uh, as I do every day. And, uh, you know, we have a a school here, and they were doing the online schools, homework drop-off and homework pickup and that kind of thing. And there was a bunch of parents out there, and they bought a bunch of pizzas. And so the people that were coming up, we had a a pizza day every uh, during the the school year. And they were passing out pizza and fruit and all kinds of things. The kids were sitting around. Everybody was just so happy to be here. And I thought, oh, Lord, please, when the governor speaks, let him bring people back together. Well, that's exactly what he did. Now, as I understand it, on Friday, uh, restaurants and barbershops and beauty parlors and nail places and uh, uh, movie theaters, everybody else is going to be 
opening on Friday, May 1st. Um, on uh, Because we have a service on Friday, we're going to be here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, I would just like some input. Now, I know I also have some pastors who are regular listeners to this program. If you don't mind, I'd also like any input that you have in terms of how you think you're going to handle this thing. I'm actually having a meeting with staff tomorrow to sort of um, review these uh, new guidelines and decide how we're going to do it, how we're going to make sure uh, this this Sunday uh, coming up is a, a communion Sunday. And, um, you know, so we've just got some things that we've got to get worked out. And I would love your input, your opinion. Again, you're sort of my research department today. And I would really appreciate the phone calls. Uh, Just sort of share your heart with me briefly. What's going on? What do you think about getting back in a crowd? Do you think the churches are going to come back to their normal size? Or is that going to take a little bit of time? Uh, How can we best minister to those who are in... uh, the vulnerable categories, those who are, are older or those who have comprom- compromised immune systems. Um, so I just like your input. If you would give us a call and sort of share your heart, uh, I'm sure you have as much input uh, as, as we should have. I just would like to know uh, what's going on and what we do. In the meantime, I'll be taking questions. Uh, we'll take phone calls for regular questions as well. And I will start with the questions that we have while we await your input, uh, any phone calls that you have. Okay, let me get to the first question I have today. It is anonymous. Um, pastor, on any time finances get low at our church, the pastor does a series on giving. Is this biblical? Uh, anonymous, it really isn't, but I understand. You know, it's hard, and, and especially now. Uh, I hope that when people start coming back to church that... Just because giving has been down during this crisis, I hope that people aren't met by the need to give. Uh, um, It's simply not the point of us getting back together. Uh, I understand that this is what a lot of pastors do. Um, There's nothing wrong with them letting uh, you know what their needs are. Um, But one of the things, and I can only speak personally anonymous, for me... Uh, We teach through the Bible. Where I ended up on Sunday, we were in um, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. This We finished it. I'm going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So I don't really have to worry about that. I just teach what comes up next in the Word. And um, uh, that's what we're going to do. So uh, I, I wish pastors wouldn't do it. I wish pastors would trust the Lord more rather than, you know, going back to their church bodies and trying to put pressure on them. Uh, God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. All we need to do is seek first the kingdom of God. And as it relates to the church, Anonymous, I think that's simply doing the work that God has called us to do. And he really hasn't called any of us to talk a lot about money. When we teach the Bible, verse by verse, we're teaching through the Bible, there's plenty of opportunities to talk about giving time, talent, and treasure. Uh, but uh, I, I just don't like the fact that rather than go to our prayer closets for um, our needs, we would first go to the people of God. I, I think that's unfair. Let me take my first phone call in. Remember, we'd love your calls. I'll probably be repeating that several times because people are tuning in throughout the program. So let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Cindy, you there? Cindy, going once. I can hear the radio in the background. Cindy, I'll come back to you uh, in a little bit. Um, 340-9585. Susan says, Pastor Ron, I have a question about gambling. I hardly ever hear preachers talk about it. Is it a sin? Um, Susan, you know, uh, if you've uh, looked at my testimony, uh, I was a a huge gambler. Uh, it certainly was sin for me. Um, the reason that preachers hardly ever talk about it is because uh, it doesn't come up in the scriptures. Gambling is not an issue uh, in the scriptures. But the motive and the heart behind gambling is, um, what I tell people all the time 
is that um, if you can gamble with a clean heart, Romans fourteen twenty three, play the lottery, whatever else, that's between you and the Lord. On the other hand, and this is really important for us to, to think about, Susan, we've always got to examine our motive. Do we want to just get rich quick? Are we are we trying to gamble rather than work? Uh, is our gambling out of control? Those kind of things. So, uh, Susan, it it can be a sin. Certainly, it often is a sin. Uh, I can testify to the damage uh, it causes, and the irresponsibility, the sense of covetousness, um, the love of money, the love of the action, uh, instead of the love for God. So, it's something that I think we ought not to do. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, it was Hi. it was a shock that because uh, I was not aware that uh, Friday was uh, you know Liberation Day. <laughs> yeah, Ray. We just found out two thirty is when the governor's statement was. So we've okay. kind of been on pins and needles all day yeah. waiting for it. Well, uh, let me ask you: What is the protocol of, of what, everybody wearing masks uh, six feet apart or? What after you know on on for instance Friday evening service and then uh, Sunday being Communion Sunday uh, mm-hmm. what what is what is your idea on setting that up and uh, uh, I I don't know I I was on hold and then I got cut off and blah and I don't know what was going on with the situation on the phone business but that's okay I got through. So I'll, okay. I'll let you fill me in. Thank you, Ray. Um, honestly, the, we're we're going to be working that out. I'm having a meeting at ten o'clock in the morning with uh, with staff here, children's ministry, and and uh, Pastor Ken and I, uh, and and we're going to we're going to work it out. We're looking at the the guidelines now. In spite of what the politicians say, um, th- their guidelines aren't always as clear as they make them out to be. Uh, it appears that uh, family members can sit together, but before the next people, there has to be the space of two chairs between them and the next group. So obviously this is going to cut down our ability to have everybody here. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem initially, uh, just because I think some people are going to be a little bit slower to come back. But uh, there needs to be two chairs between uh, people that are not of the same family. Uh, we need to disinfect the chairs and, and the other things between services. And, you know, we, we will be doing that, of course. But we're going to kind of talk about it and work it out. I, I just am not really sure uh, yet. We're going to kind of go line by line through the, the guidelines that were given to us. Uh, and decide regarding the masks. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be more comfortable wearing masks. Um, um, I, I would I would advise people to do whatever their comfort level is. Uh, I want everybody, and I I only have one church to deal with, Ray. But uh, I want everybody to come when they're comfortable to come. I don't want to put any pressure on anybody to come. I don't want anybody to feel like uh, they're going to be attacked as though they have weak faith if they don't come, if they don't serve. I only want people here who feel comfortable. We're going to caution against those people who are older and or are compromised uh, physically. Um, We're going to caution them against coming. They can still continue to watch online. Uh, We're also going to talk tomorrow about having uh, a section of our sanctuary um, set aside for those who are high risk. Um, So they're they're next to each other. I'm not sure that would really help, but uh, we're going to work those things through. So I'd ask Ray, you and everybody else to pay attention. We're going to be much more clear on Wednesday when, when we have service here. I'll take some time to talk about that the decisions that we've made. Uh, our website at calvarysa.com will be updated. Um, give us just a little bit of time tomorrow uh, to sort of start to figure these things out. Um, we're grateful that uh, that we can sort of put the pedal to the metal, uh, but uh, we, we want to do it wisely in the best interest of our people. So Ray, kind of hang tight for some of those. Let's go to Nancy calling on line two from San Antonio. Nancy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Okay. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Nancy. (laughs) I have a question.
question. Um, I'm in during my own Bible study time. I'm in First John, and um, there is a. And I, I'm, I'm cooking right now, so I can't exactly tell you which chapter and verse. But the question that I was uh, asking the Lord this morning is: there, it talks about uh, when you're. It's in the first chapter. But when your brother, if your brother in the Lord is sinning. If a brother or sister is in sin, pray for them, except there is a sin that leads to death. Mm-hmm. And it said that you, you know, it's from whatever, that you, you know, it's not really, you can't really pray for that. Do you know what they're talking about, the sin that leads to death? Yeah, Nancy, I, I can do that. Thank you very, very much. Um, Nancy, the sin that leads to death, a good example of that is the, the, the death of Ananias and Sapphira. There are times, especially uh, at the beginning of the church, where there were some sins that were so grievous that the judgment of God was death. Now, that doesn't mean they lost their salvation. If Ananias and Sapphira were, in fact, saved, they still are. They're going to be in heaven. But the hypocrisy first coming in the church was met with such harsh judgment uh, because God wanted to make a point. This is how uh, important the purity of the church and the holiness of the church is. And so he punished them harshly, um, uh, put them to death, and he did so as, as if to make a statement, this is how I feel about hypocrisy in my church. We're going to tell the truth. This is a holy church. We're going to do the work that God has sent us to do. And and uh, there are people that disqualify themselves. Uh, in our culture, some 2,000 years down the road, Nancy, and um, while I'm not anybody's judge, I think I've seen this a couple of times where Christians, real believers, got so far away from the Lord and and sinned so grievously that uh, they, they died suddenly. Um, so there are some sins God is saying uh, that are so severe that the punishment is going to be death. You may remember, Nancy, there was a, a lady uh, when we got here to Texas, uh, gosh, a long time ago now, her name was Carla, Carla Faye Tucker. And uh, she got saved in prison. She was a murderer. She got saved in prison. She was on death row. And she turned her whole life around, and she had such an effective ministry in the prison People were getting saved. I mean, so much fruit that was coming from it. And people pleaded with her uh, and pleaded with the governor for a, for a, a clemency um, just because it was clear to everybody, the, the wardens, the jailers, everybody was on her side. Uh, and yet the sin she committed was deserving of death. And so God let her go to the death chamber. And she died. And she didn't have a problem with that. She knew she was going to go and be with her Jesus. She wanted to stay. She wanted to keep ministering, but she understood it. So there are just some things that we do that the consequences could be so severe that the judgment of God would fall on us. Not the judgment for our soul, but the judgment of our life. And that's what John is talking about there. That's a passage, Nancy, that people have been, you know, in consternation about for many, many years. But that's all he's talking about. There is a sin that leads to death, John says. First John chapter 5, it's in verses 16 and 17. So, Nancy, thank you very, very much. Remember today, I would like your phone calls and input on getting back started. Church, what are some of your concerns and uh, are you eager to get back and, and how are you going to respond? And for the pastors and the audience that listen to this program, I would be interested in what you are going to do uh, as well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... I gotta make it bigger. It's anonymous from our email inbox. Um, Hi, Pastor. How do we deal with a teenage family member who recently tried to commit suicide? Uh, this young person would say that they are a Christian, but I'm not sure. It was scary that if they'd been successful, it may have been uh, that I see them uh, no more in this life or the next. How do we help as believers? That's a wonderful question, and I so appreciate your heart. First and foremost, every attempt at suicide needs to be treated with the utmost seriousness. And especially when we're dealing with teens, 
Um, you know, they've made professions of faith. They've been raised in church many times, but a lot of them aren't truly born again. And they're trying to deal with this crazy world. And they're trying to deal with this, this world without Christ. And it's overwhelming at times. Uh, obviously, there are, are severe depression issues and other things, but take it very, very seriously. Now, you said it's a teenage family member, um, but you don't say it's your teenager. If it's your teenager, this girl needs to get help. Um, uh, I would have her in uh, therapy. I would also have her in counseling, pastoral counseling, especially as she says that she's uh, a believer. Um, but But... There needs to be help, and uh, it needs to be dealt with, with, as I said, the greatest urgency of all. Now, you as a family member, um, you need to tell this person how much um, you love him or love her. Um, you need to let them know um, how your heart has been hurting, uh, just the possibility that you might not see them again in this life or the next. You need to share the love of God with them. Now, don't throw Bible verses at them, but share the love of God with them and challenge their statement of faith. Um, but, but, but know that you love them. Know that they haven't committed the unpardonable sin. You need to let them know that, that you're somebody that will be there to comfort and encourage and strengthen. But this is, again, something that we need to take very seriously. We need to act urgently. If this person's parents are not reacting with urgency, um, then you and some other family members need to get them together and talk with them about how urgent this really is. Um, this is gone beyond suicidal ideation. This is an attempt to commit suicide, and they really, really need to be um, focused. And obviously pray with them over and over and over and pray for them as best you can. That's a hard one. Here is a question from James. He said, why did God permit polygamy in the Bible? Well, James, he didn't permit it. Um, you know, I could say, and not speaking, this isn't for personal, personal for you, James, but, but let's say that you go out and you get drunk. I, I, I could say, God, why did you permit James to get drunk? We would just say, no, James chose to get drunk. God just didn't stop him because that's not what God does. Well, uh, mankind, um, so sinful, Lamech was the first bigamist in the history of the world. Um, married multiple wives. Had a, a wife that was uh, his heart, but then there was one satisfied his lust. And he just thought, well, I deserve it. And that's been going on for centuries. It still happens in the modern world that we live in. So God didn't permit it. He forbid it. At the same time, men didn't listen to him then. They don't listen to him now. So he's not approving polygamy. And every time there is a polygamist or a bigamist, um, um, whenever you see that, there is all kinds of attendant problems with it, James. But it's, it's simply God is reporting on the fact. I love the fact that our Bible doesn't try to paint a rosy picture of things. It reports the history as it happened, and the truth is that man has always been evil, man has always been controlled by their lust. Now, there were practical reasons in the ancient world. Uh, you needed to have big families so you could protect yourself, so you could have, have plenty of boys to work the field and plenty of women to have more babies. Um, and, and having multiple families obviously permitted people to do this, so... Um, Whatever the reasons, it was never the heart of God. One man, one woman forever has always been the standard in marriage. It was then, and it will be until Jesus returns for us. Remember, James, he didn't permit it. He didn't approve it. And he gave us a clear description of all of the pain that was caused as a result of it. I mean, all you have to do, you can even take a man after God's own heart, King David, and, and, and read the pain that was caused in his life because of, of having multiple wives and children from them and the attendant sin and competition between them. So um, he didn't permit it. It's just true that man doesn't listen to God, and I don't expect them to start. Things are getting worse in these last days. So, James, I hope that makes sense to you. 
Um, we're in, inside our last minute. I told you earlier I'll be repeating this. I'm interested today in anybody's input regarding uh, churches starting again. Um, what some of your concerns are, or what's your reaction? Are you are you thrilled about it? Um, are you a little bit fearful? Um, what might make you a little bit more comfortable? And if there are any pastors listening today, I would be curious as to how you're going to deal with it uh, when we start this weekend. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. I remember I'm curious about your response, your reaction, your fears, your concerns about getting back to church, and the more information you can give me, the better it would be. Uh, Danny wants to know, were Matthew and James the less brothers? Uh, Danny, I think so personally. They're both sons of Alphaeus. Uh, The problem was there was a lot of very common Jewish names, and we can't be sure. Now, if it's true that they were brothers then that means we have three sets of brothers among the 12 uh, disciples who would turn into apostles. And uh, I I personally have always believed that they were brothers. Uh, I, I always found it wonderfully encouraging that Jesus sort of worked in families and then worked through family members. Uh, but there's no real way that we can know for sure, uh, as Alphaeus was a fairly common name in the New Testament. So my opinion is they were, uh, but there's no way uh, to know that for sure. There is some evidence um, from um, early church history that they were, but again, we don't know for sure how reliable that evidence really is. Wendy says, Pastor Ron, what true role, I'm sorry, that's not, she didn't put the word true in. Uh, what role do you think Philip's four daughters had in the inner church? I know women were not pastors, so what role did they have? Uh, Wendy, we know they were prophetesses. Now, I think one of the things that we need to understand about prophets and prophetesses in the early church is how vital their role was in the early church because they didn't have a Bible. You know, we come to church and I told my church uh, yesterday, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9 and go through the end of the chapter. Well, they didn't have that. So when they would meet together, the prophets and prophetesses, and I want to emphasize the prophetesses, while women can't be pastors, uh, women uh, still had important roles in the church. They still do now. Now, these were official prophets and prophetesses, as in the office, that office no longer functions today. We still have the gift of prophecy, but, but having gift of prophecy today does not make one a prophet. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 makes that really, really clear. But what Philip's four daughters would be, they would be, now remember, they were raised by an evangelist. Philip was an evangelist, so no doubt they had the gift of evangelism and it was burning in their heart. But um, in the early church, prophets and prophetesses spoke forth the word of God. Not necessarily predictive, but, you know, there was all kinds of questions. Well, what do you do if your husband does this? Or what do you do if your wife does this? Um, what does it mean that, that we have to do that? You know, as, as I'm a Christian, I don't know how to respond to things. Well, they were really the word of God. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Just because they didn't have a Bible does not mean they didn't have the Word of God. God chose and anointed certain men and women to be prophets, his mouthpieces. They would be men and women that were trustworthy. Now, clearly there were some people in the early church that abused those gifts. And and there's warnings against them. In fact, when we get to first Peter second Peter chapter two, he's gonna be brutally harsh on those who are false teachers and false prophets. But um, no problem with Philip's four daughters and, and most of the other prophets. They had a healthy fear of God, and they would simply answer questions. They didn't have radio shows like I have, but, but people would ask them questions. They would have offices in the church. I, I don't mean building offices, but, but an office, a position in the church where people knew that if they needed the Word of God on an issue that they were struggling with, that, that those prophets or prophetesses would give them the Word. And so Philip's four daughters were active in the church. They were well-known in the church um, and uh, and faithful, as far as we know, to the very, very end. So, uh, again, the women were not pastors, but the role they played in the early church was as important and as respected as the role of an overseer or a pastor. So um, they spoke, you know, this... Um, Yesterday's Bible study here, Wendy, uh, was about Second uh, Timothy. Or, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter two, and we're talking about order in the in the New Testament church in chapters two and three. Uh, and um, this is where I had to deal with women are not permitted to be pastors in the New Testament church. Period. Um, it's as clear as it can be, and yet we violate that rule all the time, even though it's God's house, God's church, we're his people, we call him Lord, we still do what we want to do, what the culture that we live in tells us we ought to be able to do. Um, Philip's four daughters had a very important role, yet they couldn't be pastors. And in the early church, there just weren't a bunch of women that said, well, I'm as good as a man, I can be a pastor, and yet that's what they were doing. So their role was to speak forth the word of God, um, to uh, declare the gospel of grace, uh, and they were used powerfully by the Lord in the early church. They're a good study, by the way. I wish we had some more information, but but um, just they were raised. Their their dad raised them right. Here's a question from Mark. He says, Pastor Ron, was Paul speaking about himself or some general condition in Romans chapter 7? Uh, Mark, I get this question a lot as well. You know, there's a, a group of people that think, oh, no, we can become sinless and we can uh, have advanced sanctification so that we don't have to struggle with sin. And I just tell them, all you have to do is read Romans chapter 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about his own struggles, his own walk with the Lord. Um, so he was speaking in the first person about himself. In Greek, it's in the continuous present tense. It's very, very personal. And, and it's as clear as the language could make it that he's describing his own struggles. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, if Paul is going to struggle with wanting to do something and not being able to do it, or not wanting to do something, and finding himself doing it. Now, I personally think that Paul's problem was a little bit of pride. He had a tendency because of the surpassingly great revelations. We know that from First uh, Corinthians chapter, yeah, First Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, chapter twelve. Um, um, I think Paul would struggle with pride. I think it would bother him when uh, he would declare something and somebody would come and try to undermine it. It's, it's almost like, well, I'm the apostle, you're not. And then he'd get that thorn in the flesh that, that God permitted to remind him to be humble. And he was speaking about his own walk with God. And to, to diminish that mark, to say that, no, he's not speaking about himself, he's just speaking about his before Christ life, or he's speaking about the, the, the struggles that others go through. The language makes that impossible. So Paul struggled just like I struggled, just like you struggle, Mark. And he gives us a model for being honest in dealing with those struggles. So again, it can't be more clear in the language that he's speaking in the first person about himself and um, to um, 
try to make that sound like Paul is more holy than he was is to misunderstand the point of the passage altogether. Good question. Uh, Georgia says, uh, there is a lot of disagreement in my family about the use of profanity. Is there ever a time when profanity is acceptable for a Christian? Georgia, I hope you're on the side that says there's never an acceptable time for profanity. Never, 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 never. Because that's the right side. Now, here's what we do, Georgia. We don't want to stop cursing. We fall into these old habit patterns. And, hey, we've got flesh. And so we want to excuse it. Well, they're just words. What's the big deal? God doesn't care about what words we say. He cares more about our heart. But you remember that Jesus said what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. So if you've got profanity, if you've got filth coming out of your mouth, it began in the heart. So there should be... You know, Georgia, the, the, the saddest thing about your question is that there is any disagreement at all about the use of profanity. I've shared this with my church many times. I think I've shared it on this program uh, a time or two over the years. Um, I had a filthy mouth when I got saved. Um, I was an old baseball player. I was a car dealer. Um, um, and, and I had a filthy mouth. And when um, I got saved, I knew I had to stop. Now, I caught myself several times, but I can tell you this, Georgia, in my 29 years with the Lord, I've cursed one time. One time. It just came out. I was at Bible college when it happened. And it was almost like God was saying, no, don't think too highly of yourself. This stuff is still in you. You've got to fight it. And I was so shocked and I felt so terrible about disappointing Jesus. Uh, I haven't cursed since. And there's never an acceptable time for a believer. We had a former politician here in San Antonio who is a Christian, and I believe with all of my heart he's a Christian, but he started doing a podcast last year. Um, and uh, his advertisement for the podcast was, well, this is going to be keeping it real. And I'm going to talk to people like they talk on the streets, and, and I'm not going to worry about the language. And, and, and see, the minute we do that, we're misrepresenting Jesus. So it's never okay to use foul language, not ever. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Sprinkle of salt, we got to declare the word of God, but seasoned with grace, no coarse jesting. So there's never an acceptable time for a Christian to use profanity. And as I said, Georgia, it's heartbreaking that there was any disagreement about that at all. It's just not something that honors the Lord. If you're in the habit of doing that, let me tell you how the Lord changed my heart um, and can change yours. That one time I cursed, I was talking to a young man at Bible college, and again, the word just came out. It wasn't planned. It it just, just came out. I could see the look in his face, and I was so apologetic to him, and the Lord kind of stopped me. And this wasn't one of those things where God appeared to me or anything, but it was as though he was standing right there. And he gave me a picture of him standing between me and the guy that I was talking to. And what he was letting me know was that that filth, before it got to the ears of the man I was talking to, the young man I was talking to, that filth soiled him. And it was so impactful to me. I I just couldn't imagine ever soiling Jesus again. And I started praying instantly, Lord, I know that stuff is in my heart, so I need you to work on my heart. Until my heart's bitter, Lord, I need you to, to, to help me catch it before it comes out of my mouth so I don't embarrass you or me. And he did that. He did that. And again, I cursed in all those years um, simply because uh, I don't want to violate him, Jesus. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you have any comments or concerns about getting back to church, I'd love to know what they are so we can deal with them uh, appropriately here at Calvary Chapel. Um, here is a question from Jonathan. Uh, are there any prophets or prophetic voices? 
you recommend currently preaching? Um, Jonathan, no, there aren't any prophets. There is no prophet. Uh, the prophets and the apostles, that is, uh, th- those are offices that have been closed. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 says that the foundation of the church has already been laid. That foundation is Jesus uh, crucified and risen from the dead. That's the cornerstone. And then the prophets on one hand, the apostles on the other hand, they are the foundation. And the language in Ephesians 2 indicates clearly that that foundation once laid, already laid, and the church is being built. So you got past tense, the foundation laid, and the church is being built on that foundation. So there are no prophets today. Now, I do think, uh, Jonathan, there are some prophetic voices. And by that, I don't mean these fools who, who speak for God, thus saith the Lord, and there's a blood moon. I don't mean that kind of nonsense. But I mean people that are speaking forth the word of God. I think many pastors are prophetic voices when they are encouraging their churches to walk in holiness because the Lord's return is near. That's a prophetic voice. But there isn't somebody speaking for God the way Isaiah did or Jeremiah did or, or, or any of the other prophets that we, we know about. There aren't any prophetic writings being written like Daniel and, and Zechariah and Ezekiel. Uh, but there are some people exercising the gift of prophecy. I do every time I, I'm teaching. I'm really big, Jonathan, on application of what I'm teaching. And I think a lot of that is uh, contained by, with words of wisdom uh, and words of knowledge that the Lord has given me. And, uh, and, and I think those the, the gift of prophecy. However, I would never claim to be a prophet. Good question. I think we've got Cindy back on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling back. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. That's awesome. Hi, good Cindy. About getting to get back to church again. I'm, I, I've really got cabinitis. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> want to say fever because cabin fever because fever is not a good word these days. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but um, you know, what I are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Cindy? Oh, well, my Any concerns? If you've got any kind of a cough or a sniffle, it's very disconcerting to be sitting in the row in front of somebody that has a cough or a sniffle. So maybe maybe have a mask or something, mm-hmm. or, or you're totally better. But yeah, my, you know, um, see, you, see, before you go on, that's an important consideration. Something I want us all to consider, though. Um, you know, I talk a lot, and so I'll cough. And, and there, there are people who, who cough and occasionally sneeze. This is allergy central. And I don't want Christians, whether it's at our church or any other church, I don't want people to look at somebody who starts sneezing or coughing like they've got the new leprosy, you know. It's, it, we, we've got to be kind and understanding and not let fear keep us from being loving and accepting of other people. So, so yeah, if you've got a cough, you've got a fever, um, we want you to stay home. Uh, and we're certainly going to encourage the use of masks if that would make people more comfortable. But um, we, we just need to be, be wise about it. Go on now, Cindy. Well, well, yeah, I, I think that's really true. Um, actually, last week on Happy Friday, you had a caller, and the discussion was about when we die, we instantly go into the presence of Jesus. And then mm-hmm. I got to think about the judgment, and I, I, I know that you've probably gone through this before, but I think my brain has just turned into a colander uh, with this <laughs> being in cabinitis. But, but I'm curious how we, so we die, and then we go into the presence of Jesus. And there we are, mm-hmm. sitting there in front of him. But what about the judgment? Isn't there, Do we like go to a waiting room kind of thing that, you know, until the final judgment comes? Or are we totally judged mm-hmm. then? That, that's what was going around my head last um, Happy Friday. Yeah. Thank you, Cindy. I, I can do that. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul writes in the church in Corinth. Um, um, when we leave, uh, I had the privilege of praying for somebody uh, yesterday afternoon who is uh, at any moment going to go and be with the Lord. And I, I had the opportunity to pray for them. And, and um, you know, I was able to explain to her. Um, and I don't know that she could understand or anything, but that's not the point. But, but um, 
was able to explain to her what was going to happen. Uh, the moment she dies, uh, the, this body gives out, then she's going to live. And an angel is going to be sent to take the real her, who's occupied now, who's, who's trapped in that old, tired body, um, and instantly she's going to be in her new glorified, resurrected body and in the presence of the Lord. So there's no uh, uh, penalty box. There's no waiting area or holding area. Uh, there's no soul sleep or anything like that. It's simply where, where, where this body gives out. We take our last breath here and we take this next beautiful gasp, a gasp marveling at his majesty in his presence. So we go instantly in the presence of the Lord. And when we go into his presence, Cindy, we will have our new glorified, resurrected physical body. I think that's really important for us to understand. So there's no limbo place, you know, where Christians go. We go right in the middle. Now, the judgment is also going to happen when we're taken to be with the Lord. Uh, it's, but it's not a judgment for salvation. That judgment already occurred on the cross. So it's a judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Romans chapter 12. It's a judgment for rewards, crowns of righteousness. It judges the things that we did in the body, things that are good, things that are bad, um, and things that are good for nothing. Uh, we will receive and we will lose rewards at that judgment. But it is not in any fashion or form a judgment of our salvation or judgment of our souls. It's a completely different kind of judgment. Now, um, for people who are not believers, Cindy, when they die in this body, then the, their spirit, their, the real them, goes into uh, the place of torment. You can read about that in Luke chapter 16. Uh, and they are going to be tormented night and day forever and ever and ever. But that's not their final resting place. or They're not going to be resting their final destination either. Because at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, now remember, believers are going to rule and reign with Jesus for that thousand years here on earth. But at the end of that thousand years, then the lake of fire is going to be created. And the people who rejected God, this is the second death, uh, they who rejected Jesus Christ are going to be cast into the lake of fire where they will spend forever and ever and ever. So we don't go into paradise. We, we go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Good question, Cindy. Thank you for your input very, very much. And be praying, not just for us, but for uh, other churches as well. Um, we've got... A question from... Hold on, I'm trying to get it before we close. Uh, here is a question that just came in from our mobile app. This is from Chip. Yesterday during your sermon, you said that we should strive to be perfect in Christ. I don't think I want to actually achieve being perfect in Christ while here on earth. I think I would then become arrogant and maybe even prideful and blow it. You know, uh, Chip, you would, so would I. Um, but the fact that we can't be perfect doesn't mean that we should not strive to be. And when I say strive, I don't mean, you know, trying with all of your heart. I mean, by, by striving in the power of God. By walking in the Spirit, Paul writes, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not satisfy the lust of the flesh. Instead, you'll reap the benefits of walking in the Spirit. Jesus said that we are to aim for perfection. We should never, ever stop trying for perfection. We should never, ever stop striving for holiness. The fact that we can't achieve it in this body shouldn't keep us from wanting to be perfect. That's what I was trying to communicate. Maybe I didn't do such a good job on it yesterday, Chip. Um, but I can promise you, if I even thought I was perfect, or even close to being perfect, I'd be the most arrogant person, uh, prideful person in the world. And then, of course, we would blow it. So it's not we, we don't have any danger of being perfect. But we can try. Uh, you know, our Bible tells us, Paul writing, find out what pleases the Lord. That's such simple instruction. And believe me, if we're trying to find out what pleases the Lord and pursuing that, then we are aiming for perfection. And that should be what we want to be every single day. That's why Paul, in his description, we had a question about earlier in Romans chapter 7, um, when, he, when he described his struggle, 
He said, oh, wretched man that I am. He was striving for perfection. He wanted to be perfect, but he couldn't be, no matter how hard he tried. And what God wants, what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate, is that when we're not perfect, when we sin, it should break our heart. We should really, really confess and regret what we've done. And when we do that, Chip, um, then we're close to being perfect in the righteousness of Christ all over again. So um, don't worry, we won't be perfect, but we should always keep trying to be. Good question. I like that. Do we have time for another phone call? We don't. Let's see, what have I got for time-wise? Got one minute. Oh, got one minute. Uh, okay, here's a one-minute question. Is it okay to take communion at home? This is anonymous. Anonymous, yes, it's okay to take communion at home. Please do. Do it as often as you feel led to do it. Do it personally. Do it with your family. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing. Thanks for the question. I'm going to take the last couple of seconds here on this program uh, to ask everybody to pray. We're getting back into church this weekend. Uh, we will be meeting Friday night, May 1st, the first night that we can here at Calvary Chapel. We'll have our Saturday morning prayer group meet again. And then Sunday, our three services. Uh, let's just pray that we do it wisely, that we really, truly rejoice that we get to be back with our family. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll be talking about this more for the rest of the week. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. God bless you. See you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Amen.